0: Welcome to all of you as a part of the Calvary family, family and friends. So good to worship with you today, as well as our online family. Thank you for being a part of this church and this family. I know that today is a good day as we approach the summer, as we approach uh, next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, as we approach all things Next. That's what we've been talking about. Next. Um, For many of you that are parents, your children perhaps finished school this past week or perhaps you finished school this past week and you're going, thank you, Lord, for a breather, right? Um, You're looking forward to that next little hopefully Sabbath period of life where you can breathe just a moment as a family to get ready for what's next. We always have to think about what's next. And one of the things we've been talking about throughout the last several weeks is how do you embrace what God has for you next by faith. We all need to embrace what God has for us next by faith. Uh, This morning, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's actually found in 2 Chronicles. So by strategic design, we have walked through 2 Chronicles because there are some powerful verses that we've looked at and some powerful stories where God came through on behalf of his people simply because they trusted him. They didn't have anything to bring. They didn't have any opportunity to overcome the challenges and obstacles. Matter of fact, several times they had painted themselves into a corner You know what it's like to paint yourself into a corner, right? You can see no way out. There's no way for you to get out of that corner. But it's as if God just lifts you up and takes you out of the corner and gives you a fresh start. He does that for his children over and over and over again. And he will do that for you. So this morning we're going to go to 2 Chronicles together, chapter 32. Now 2 Chronicles 32 is also reflected in the book of 2 Kings but we're going to stay true to our commitment to the book of 2 Chronicles. And hopefully throughout this season of life, you engaged in the devotional that we wrote for you. That you could download. If you never were able to use that or only a portion of that, um, you can go to calvaryneworleans.com slash next. Look that up. Download that. And I know that that was helpful for me as a part of my soul being revived. I hope that it was re- helpful for you as well. And uh, this passage naturally was a part of that. Now before we read the passage this morning, let me give you a celebratory update. Last week was our first step in our process of completing some of the things that we need to do around here as the Calvary family. And so last week was a portion of our commitment to be able to take care of our house. The first portion of our commitment was that we would bring a one-time sacrificial gift as God's people to help get the work started, some of which will begin this week and also specifically that first week of June. Listen, we're going for it. We're stepping in. We're being faithful to it. We're going to take care of our house. And so last week, we raised on one Sunday, $100,000 on one Sunday. That is huge, okay? Um, There were over 70 family units involved in that process. So that's 70 family unit units that are a part of Calvary that believe in that, that committed to that. That was last Sunday, our family stepping forth to give a one-time gift beyond our budget giving of $100,000 for us to take care of our house. Of which the phases of that process are listed on our website, calvaryneworleans.com slash next. And you can go there and see that. And you know that we're going to light this place up. We're going to fix some of the things that have not only been there before Our Hurricane Zeta, but also that Hurricane Zeta caused to our properties. We're fixing all of that. So we launched in right there. We also participated last week. And here's the challenge for today. There were 15 family units. 15 family units that also committed on top of that $100,000 one-time gift, $150,000. So in one Sunday, we received a commitment... For half of phase one. That's huge. On one Sunday, our church family stepped up and said, We can tackle what we need to tackle as the Calvary family. And we committed right up front half of a half a million dollar project. That's huge for a church like us. That's huge for a church our size. That's huge as far as our commitment. But 15 family members, and I think it may have gotten lost in translation. Sometimes that happens. 15 family members out of the 70 that committed a one-time gift, 15 says, yes, I heard the message. There is also a three-year process that I want to commit to. And 15 units committed $150,000. So I asked myself the question, what if 70-plus units also committed To the three-year process of saying, you know what? That church means something to me. The ministries here mean something to me. And I want to be a part of that. Now, here's what I think. I think a lot of people got confused, lost in translation. Or maybe you're in the process of praying about it. Okay, yeah, I can give right up front. But I'm not sure what the future holds. I'm not sure what's going to happen as far as resource, job, transition, all of those things. Right, we never are. Could you have foreseen a a shutdown in the world a year ago? Absolutely not. But you also can't foresee the blessings of God that He will do for those who are faithful. And what's the life lesson we've been talking about? If what? We act in faith toward God, then what? We can see Him respond in faithfulness to us. Today I want to talk to you about that again from 1 Chronicles chapter 32 because I think this story helps me operate by faith, move forward by faith into what God has for us next. But I think this story today for you is going to help you as a child of God be able to embrace the things that God has for you by faith, not just by reason, not just by strength. Not just by your financial capacity, but trusting God to do something that only God can do. One of the things that I love about trusting God to do what only God can do, He's never let me down. He will never let His children down. And quite frankly, not only does He not let His children down, when I trust Him by faith, when you trust Him by faith, There is just a supernatural way that God goes beyond what we can expect, ask, or think. That's just what he does. And 2 Chronicles chapter 32 today is a great example of this. This is one of those moments in scripture. And I, quite frankly, read this story years ago when I was a child. And I was like, there's no way for this to happen. And then... As you go through life as an adult, you again go, there's no way for this to happen except by faith. And this is what happens in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 1. After these acts of faithfulness, what acts of faithfulness? The acts of faithfulness of King Hezekiah, who was faithful in rebuilding God's house and faithful in leading God's people. After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Assyria was the empire of that generation. It was the number one ruling nation in that generation. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he came and he invaded Judah and he besieged the fortified cities. And he intended to break into them for himself. Now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem... He decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city. And they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs and the stream which flowed through the region, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he resolutely set to work And rebuilt all of the wall that had been broken down. And he erected towers on it. And built another outside wall. And strengthened the Milo in the city of David. And he made weapons and shields in great numbers. He appointed military officers over the people. And he gathered them to him in the public square at the city gate. And he spoke encouragingly to them saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all of the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied On the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Verse 9. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. While he was besieging Lachish with all of his forces with him. Against Hezekiah, king of Judah. And against all of Judah who were in Jerusalem. Saying, this is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you trusting? That you are staying in Jerusalem under siege. Is Hezekiah not misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and by thirst? Saying, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria. His servants spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel. And to speak against him saying, as the gods of the nations of the lands have not saved their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not save his people from my hand. They called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them so that they might take the city. They spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they did against the gods of the people of the earth. The work of human hands. Verse 20. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos they prayed about this and called out to heaven for help. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. And he guided them on every side. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and valuable presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah. So thereafter... He rose in the sight of all the nations. This passage is one of my favorites because if you're a history buff and you go back and you look throughout time, any research will show you that the Assyrians were bad to the bone. The Assyrians knew what they were doing. They were that world empire that truly knew how to conquer all of the lands around them. And they had strategies. They had strength. They had might. They had financial wealth. They had everything that they needed. The history books tell us that during that season of life, they became the most powerful force on earth. Matter of fact, it was so impressive that I can even remember back in college... I actually did a research proposal on the Assyrian Empire because it was fascinating to know how much they were the predecessor to the Roman Empire and then quite frankly to most of the governments today that we think about in the modern era. They would take people when they would conquer them and they would move them from one location to to another. In other words, to decentralize the people and the people's strength, they would take this people group and they would put them in a foreign land and a place where they were not comfortable and they would take those people and put them somewhere else. And then they would deport a lot of them to the capital, Susa, of the Assyrian Empire. Fascinating. Their army was so strong that really all they had to do was intimidate you. All they had to do was talk big before they acted big and most of the time because people had heard about them through propaganda and intimidation they would just lay down their weapons their shields and give in they were that strong they were so vicious that when they overtook another army they would literally take the soldiers of that army are you squeamish Because I love this detail. Sorry, I guess it reveals what I like about studying intimidation. And I enjoyed this part of life during college as I watched and, and read about the Assyrian Empire. But they legitimately would take the soldiers of other armies and they would peel their skin off. And then they would put them on post precursors to a crucifixion that means a lot to you and I about a savior who was put on a cross. Yeah, the Assyrians came up with that. And they would put those down the highway so that anybody that thought they could stand up to the Assyrians would know there is no way to beat this army. It's that nation and that army and that king that shows up in Israel where we just read. And they show up to take over the nation of Israel. There is nothing to stop The Assyrians at this point from taking over. History is on their side. Might is on their side. Financial ability is on their side. Everything is on the side of the Assyrians to conquer anyone. You can't stand up to them. And yet in scripture you have this moment. You have this moment where this underwhelming nation of people who trust in the living God. This underwhelming group of people who do not have the military might or background to stand up to this Assyrian army. You have this group of people that do not have the horde of people or the financial resource to stand strong against this entire empire that is taking over the known world of its generation. And yet, when they show up, God routs the Assyrians without the people of God having to fight one battle. When I think about moving forward by faith, I I believe that if God can do that for his people, when the chips are down, right, when everything's on the line, where it's not just an issue of convenience. Am I going to go without a meal or without a bit of entertainment to help accomplish something great? For them... It was, am I going to live? Am I going to survive this? Is God going to be glorified truly? Or is our God going to be like one of the gods of all the rest of the nations? Just someone that they talk about, but who can't help, who can't save, who can't deliver. That's what they're facing. And do you know how they faced it? By faith. Do you know what they did? They moved forward by faith. You see, it's very simple. If we act in faith toward God, then we can see God respond in faithfulness toward us. Let's break this story down for just a minute because I think there are some things that are important for us uh, to respond in faith toward God. And, And here's the reality. Um, Nothing's ever perfect. So the first thing we have to understand about acting in faith toward God is that there are always challenges to faithfulness. There are always challenges to faithfulness. What you have prior to chapter 32 are the acts of faithfulness of King Hezekiah toward God. He was faithful toward God. But in the midst of being faithful toward God, sometimes we think that, oh, I'm going to be faithful toward God, and I'm going to act in faith, and it's all just going to be easy. Well, in the midst of this moment where King Hezekiah had acted in faithfulness toward God, it says in verse 1 that after all of these acts of faithfulness, after all of these moments of obedience, after all of these moments of trusting God one of the greatest challenges of Hezekiah's reign would come toward him. Not just a challenge physically or financially, something that could have cost them everything. It was that big. That challenge came. And when did that challenge occur in his life? In the midst of faithfulness. You see, in our lives, there are always challenges to faithfulness. Nothing is ever perfect. It's not perfect for me, it's not perfect for you, and it's not perfect for anyone else. It's not perfect for the believer, and it's not perfect for the unbeliever. And yet the challenge for those of us who have faith is that we trust God to come through even in the midst of great difficulty. We trust God to deliver even when things are not convenient or going the way that we intended or had planned. It's in those great crisis moments of faith that we have to realize, look, faithfulness is faithfulness, but it doesn't always mean that we're going to be without challenges. One of the things that I loved about last week, last week we had that moment, that first step of commitment. And And one of you, as a part of this Calvary family, said to me after church, Pastor, I want you to know something. God gave me a number in my heart that I should give. And over the course of the week leading up to last Sunday, both of my vehicles went out on me. I had to get one of them towed. And I had to make a decision. Matter of fact, it was really cool because this person actually called me and I missed the phone call. I was busy taking care of some things and I apologized to that person, but I missed the phone call. And that person said to me, I'm actually glad you didn't answer the phone. Because I had to work through that in my faith. And what God said to me is what I determined I was going to do in spite of very real challenges. And so that person gave a very substantial and significant gift that I know personally they needed to use to fix their vehicles. But they gave it to the Lord. So you know what I've been praying all week long for that person? God, I know in some way, in some capacity, you're going to help and provide. And they're going you're going to take care of that. They acted in faith. But when you act in faith, it doesn't mean that we, you, I, are immune from challenges. As a matter of fact, usually when you act in faith... You're going to be tested. That is the reality of life. Usually when you step out in obedience to God, that's when you're going to be tested. And the test is going to be, am I going to trust the Lord even in the midst of challenges? Or am I going to give up? Am I going to step back? Am I going to be like everyone else of all the other nations comparatively to what the scripture says that we read today? Or am I going to, in the midst of this great challenge, trust the Lord? How do we deal with challenges? How do we deal with challenges while still acting in faith? Trusting God to help us move forward by faith. Number one, how do you deal with the challenges? Because they're going to happen even when you're operating in faith. Number one, you have to be prepared. Hezekiah did something and you notice that when he got the news, even in the midst of faithfulness, even in the midst of knowing I'm going to stand firm on what God's put into my heart, this challenge comes from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. These threats come from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. What does Hezekiah do? He prepares. He prepares the people. He prepares the city. He prepares the military. He prepares every way that he possibly can to get ready for what we might call that rainy day. And we're all going to have that rainy day, right? It all happens at different points in our lives where things are not working out the way we planned. But Hezekiah didn't let that moment torpedo his faith. Instead, he took action to prepare To move this to that place. To organize the people in this area. And it says that he did so while encouraging the people. Can you imagine the greatest challenges that come against you? And in the midst of those great great challenges, everyone around you says, Oh, we need to give up. We need to quit. You'll never make it. You'll never get through this. You can't survive. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have the right looks. Can you imagine everybody in your life speaking down to you in the midst of a great crisis? But Hezekiah, in the midst of a great crisis, he prepared his people by encouraging them. When challenges come, we have to be prepared to stand in the midst of those And the second thing that stands out that Hezekiah did, and he helped the people do, is not only do we have to be prepared to continue to act by faith, but we have to be courageous. He was courageous. Did you see that Hezekiah, the Bible tells us that he resolutely set to work. In other words, he had his mind made up, he had his heart made up, he had his soul made up, and he has his strength made up to do what God had put inside of him to do. He resolutely did it, and he told the people Be strong and courageous. Now isn't that interesting that in the Bible we are told over and over again from the beginning, like Joshua would have to say to the people, like other great leaders would have to say to the people, be strong and courageous and what? Do not fear. Do not fear. Fear is what costs us most of the battles in life that we face. Those battles can be physical, something that comes against your body that scares you. They can be mental, something that continues to vex you in your mind. Yeah, they can be financial, and we're afraid of what's going to happen next with our job or our money or our resource. Fear is where we lose most of the battles of life. But do you notice how Hezekiah helped the people overcome fear? He said, be courageous. Courageous how? In our own strength? Courageous in our own ability? Courageous in our own intellect? No. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. For the one who is with us is greater than the one who is with them. And Hezekiah was able to teach the people not only to be prepared, but to be courageous. He also taught them how to be anchored. To be anchored. When challenges come they reveal what our trust is in. When challenges come our way, they truly reveal our character. And listen, all of our character at different times is going to be challenged. It happens. This is a real moment in the life of God's people then. And guess what? You have real moments where you face challenges in your life today. I have them. You have them. We have them. We are human. But to be... Anchored is to know just as Hezekiah said to them. Listen, they have an arm of flesh, but the arm that is with us is greater than that. They have the strength of their military, but we have the strength of our God. They have intimidation, but we have. We have the ability to stand firm and watch God fight for us. You see, there was an anchor that they can hold on to. And you know, when you step out in faith, when you trust God for something, your anchor is your faith. Yes, your flesh is going to be challenged. Your mind is going to be challenged. Your circumstances in your life are going to be challenged. Challenges are going to come. They're going to come for everyone. But to anchor yourself in the Lord. And to know that he is the one who will fight our battles. That's how you overcome and deal with all of the challenges that come your way. There are always challenges to faithfulness. But it doesn't mean we have to give up on faith. Right? Because the Lord is going to come through on behalf of those who turn to him. Who know him. And who love them. Number two. When I look at this passage, I see that there are always challenges to faith. And there are always voices opposed to truth. There are always voices opposed to truth. This isn't a matter of semantics. This isn't a matter of opinion. This isn't a matter of perspective. This is the reality. There is truth. And there are lies. And there are always voices opposed to truth. The question is, as God's people, as those redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, as those who claim his name, who claim his power and salvation, which voice do we listen to the most? There's a great template here, a great pattern of God's people that help us to know what to do when the voices that are opposed to truth come into our lives. How do we process them? And the first thing to do in processing truth from error is to be wise. To be wise. Hezekiah had prepared God's people. As a matter of fact, the recording of this in 2 Kings gives some more detail to it. He had prepared God's people on how to respond in this moment. What's going on here? Well, the Bible tells us that Sennacherib's leaders, that his spokespeople, are coming to the people of God and they're speaking very specifically. Not in the language of the Assyrians... They're using the language of the people of Judah and Jerusalem. That's very important. In other words, what they're bringing forth as their propaganda, as their way of deceiving God's people into giving up on their faith and giving up on truth and giving up on the God who would rescue them because he could rescue them, what they start doing is speaking to them in their own language, using their own terms. Twisting the meaning of the words that they have before them. And speaking it out loud so that they can intimidate God's people into believing a lie. And as a matter of fact, in Second Kings, what you see is that the people with Hezekiah actually say at first, Hey, why don't you speak to us in a different language? And the Assyrians are smart. They're like, no. We're going to say everything we're going to say so that everybody can understand how bad it's about to get for them. It's a tactic because if they can steal the hearts of the people away from the Lord, then they've won the battle before there's any battle. We have to be wise in our lives as Christians to recognize those same battles occur in your lives today. They happen through media. They happen through our own, at times, willingness "...to surrender ground of faith to grounds of the world." We sometimes in our own minds will believe a lie or we will succumb to temptation and sin... ...and we will grasp for that so strongly that we will try to justify that before God. And it creeps in ever so subtly. But the devil always knows how to speak the language of our hearts, the language of our desires... ...to twist our thoughts toward his causes... The world is that way. And for those of us as children of faith who claim to follow the Lord, who want the goodness and the blessing of the Lord, the protection and the provision of the Lord and his presence with us, we have to be wise to recognize which voices are trying to manipulate and twist and take away the truth from us so that we become really useless. Because we have no faith. And then we give in and we lose before we even fight any battles. That's what God's people are dealing with in this moment. And for you and I to learn that lesson, to be wise, to be able to identify truth, to hold to truth, regardless of what the world in its strength, in its great propaganda or media or image says to you and I as people of faith, We have to be wise to recognize where it's coming from. I mean, what was the scheme? The scheme was very clear. We're going to speak in your own language so that we can steal the hearts of the people away from God so that we can take them over. There was an agenda. Imagine that. Imagine that the world has an agenda that is against you as a Christian. And you know what? The only way you beat that agenda is not by your intellect. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone and you know that you have brought forth every piece of evidence and truth you possibly can and they still don't believe? You can't win it with your intellect. I'm not saying you shouldn't use your intellect. But I'm just saying you can't convince someone who is hell-bent against the truth To come to your position. That is a work of God. What about as far as you having your abilities? You know, there are people with great abilities in this world. Physical, as in athletes. Abilities, as in musicians. Abilities, as in movie stars. Abilities, as in politicians. Abilities, as in people who are involved in social government and being able to work in this world. And do you know what always happens? Those people are always turned out to be the bad guys. Wisdom says, I better be looking for truth in the midst of my life. And I better trust the Lord by faith because there is an agenda out there that is working against the people of God to bring them captive, to make them really inept, to make them complacent, and to make them lose their faith. And therefore I need to learn when I'm fighting those kind of battles, be wise and trust the Lord in that. The second response is fascinating. We all at times I know want to argue. We want to get the last word. We want to prove our case. And the truth is, silence is usually the way to win those type of battles. 2 Kings tells us that Hezekiah told all of the people, "Be silent. You're not going to win this battle with being able to outspeak them, outwork them, outmaneuver them, that's not how we can win this battle. And there are battles like that in our lives. And silence is the way that you win them. They did not respond. Even every person in the city at that time did not respond. Did they want to? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would have. Hezekiah, do you know what you're doing? Isaiah, come on now, I'm not sure about this. Man, I. This is dangerous. This is scary. And how many times do we find ourselves not only believing in lies, but then therefore aligning ourselves with positions that are not true. And because of fear, emotion, challenge, false beliefs, we then begin to spread and say the wrong things. They had to be silent before the Lord. Why? so that the lord could be the one who would respond. Not only were they wise and silent, but another way that we overcome these type of challenges and voices that are opposed to truth, how do you beat them? Through prayer. We have to be prayerful. What did Isaiah and Hezekiah do after they heard all of this? It said they prayed and they called out to the lord. They prayed and they called out to the Lord. As they prayed and called out to the Lord, that was a revelation that they truly were responding by faith. They were willing to let God fight this battle for them. And so that brings me to the third and the final piece, and it's why I love this story. And this is a great point for us as we have walked through Second Chronicles together. I want us to be able to land here. There's Always victory. Just like there are always challenges, there are always voices, there is always victory for those who act in faith. What happened in the battle? You see, the people of God were outmanned. They had been out they had been outthought. But what happened as they prayed, as they remained silent, as they responded by faith, knowing That the one who was with them was greater than the one who was with their enemies, which, by the way, I believe scripture says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. As they trusted in that, as they knew what Hezekiah was telling them was the truth, and therefore they believed the truth that the king of Assyria had an arm of flesh, but the arm of the Lord is greater. And he is mighty to save. In that moment, all the Lord had to do was send his angel to take out the entire Assyrian army. Not a sword was drawn. Not a rock was thrown. There was no destruction that happened on that day. Because the Lord came through for his people. Why? They acted in faith. There was no way for them to win. There was no way for them to overcome. They didn't have the means or the ability. There was no way for it to happen. But God came through. And he came through not only for them on that day. The Bible tells us that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, as he returned to his own land to worship his own gods, even those in his own household. Talk about dysfunction. Even those in his own household turned on him and slayed him. Wow! And isn't that just like the world? They'll turn on you when it doesn't go their way. And they will try to slay you. But for all of those who said, I will take my stand with the Lord. I will act in faith toward God. God responded in faith to them. And you didn't see the Assyrians return back to the land of Judah or Israel during the, during the entire lifetime of Hezekiah. As a matter of fact, they only returned when God's people gave up on faith. Isn't that fascinating? Second Chronicles is a great book to reveal this, but I think my big takeaway for you and I is that for us... It's important to be faithful to the Lord. To be faithful to the Lord, because when I'm faithful to the Lord, He's going to be faithful to me. Be faithful to the Lord, and He will be faithful to you. Now, on a very minor scale, I mean, when I put it in perspective of Scripture, it's a very minor scale. But for us as a church, we have some things that we have to tackle, and we're going to do that. And I look and I go, wow, God, your people provided half of phase one and committed to that. Not only a one-time gift, but a three-year commitment on the part of some. But I think that's actually as intimidating as it may be to me as a pastor, because I go, I don't really know where it's going to come from. (laughs) I think alongside of you, some of you go, I don't really know where it's going to come from. I don't really know how it's there. But I will act in faith. God, I I know what you've said to my heart. And, And by the way, I would much rather be in the city of faith than on the outside with the enemy. Any day. I'd rather live in freedom in my faith with God than in captivity and have it all. I'd rather know that I have been set free by the strong arm of the Lord than to know that I was trying to free myself by my own strength. And in this process for you and I as we think forward, here's what I know. It's why I launched into it. Regardless of what I knew we would pledge or what our capacity was, I I know the realities because I see them every week. Here's what else I knew. God is going to provide for this church. God is going to provide for his people. God is going to provide and take care of you. And he's going to use us together to accomplish what seems intimidating for us in New Orleans be yet to him, he can do it. It's not that big of a deal. So here's what I would like for you to do. Continue to pray by faith. God, I've taken perhaps step one. If you missed step one and your one-time gift, if you missed out on that moment, let me encourage you. You can do that today. You can do that this week. Go to calvaryneworleans.com slash next and get in on what God is up to here through this church if you missed that moment. But if you missed The commitment moment to say, God, here's what I want over the next three years. I don't know, but I trust you. And therefore, I'm going to ask you and I'm going to speak to you. And I want you to speak to my heart of a three-year commitment to help this church move forward. And then I want you to take that step today or this week of a three-year commitment. I know that if 15 families did it and they brought forth $150,000 that they're saying, I'm going to give over the next three years. Then I know God can come through for the rest. But it requires that I act in faith. Now what do you need God to do in your life? Be real. What do you need God to do in your life? What is it that he can't do? Last time I checked. If he can free the people of God from the rule of an empire of deception. Then he can do anything for you as his child today that's who he is. So I want us to take a moment and bow our heads, bow our hearts, close our eyes, and pray. And just like Hezekiah and Isaiah, they prayed and they called to the Lord. I want to give you a moment right now to call on the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you for every one of your children right now. In the sound of this room and in our online family, God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you are speaking words of faith, of courage, of boldness to them right now. God, that you are taking away doubts and fear and defeat. And you are showing them a glimpse even in their hearts right now. God, for each of us, you are showing us that by faith, Not only can you bless our lives personally in the next three years, not only can you bring life and goodness and health and strength and prosperity, not only can you do that, God, for us personally, but you can do that for your church. Lord, I pray right now that for each and every person, the deepest needs that they are wrestling through struggling through and looking through right now in their hearts and their lives that they know and they are real and they are perhaps overwhelming. God, greater is your arm who is with us than the arm of flesh that is with the enemy. God, you are the one who can deliver, who can come through and who can bring about greatness in the midst of challenge. Draw our hearts even right now to your voice and your truth. And I pray that for all of us today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a privilege to walk through this journey with you. Matter of fact, last week, one of the most beautiful things that blessed me, and I think this speaks to the quality of the team that's been called here to this church to lead and to serve you a hundred percent of our staff team not only gave, but also pledged and pledged significantly. Let me tell you why that's important. I know what they make. If God's people will act in faith toward God, then God's people can see God respond in faithfulness to them. I encourage you as a part of this church family, pray, give, and pledge, and let's watch what God can do for this family of faith. Amen. Amen.